Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. Folks, we're, we're again on our earth walk, we're journeying along, and we're in chapter 9. Today we're going to focus in on verses 27 through 36. And really what we're going to see today is, I've entitled the message, A Glimpse of Heaven. We, we live in an interesting age today because a lot of Christianity is focused on heaven, focused on, you know, if you listen to Southern Gospel music, which some of you do, focused on mansions and streets of gold and walking on them, or you're focused on what you're going to be, what's it going to be like when you get there and having a fun time with all family members and stuff. And I think, you know, those are really nice, but the implication of the Bible is, is that is not what heaven is about. What you're going to see today, especially as we get a glimpse of heaven, as we get a glimpse of the kingdom of God, is that heaven is not about what you are going to enjoy later on. Heaven is not about what you're going to have later on. Heaven is about a person, the second person of the Trinity, the Godhead himself, Jesus. And the reality of that is, is that's going to have to, that should have an implication, that should rock your world, that should change the way you view things, when you really consider what it is about Jesus and what he's calling us to. You know, we've been trying to answer questions as we've been going along in Luke, and so I've got a couple questions that we're going to look at today. One is one that we've been wrestling with the whole time, and that who is Jesus that he demands a response? And folks, today we're going to see who Jesus is. I mean, the reality is, is that he demands a response from us. He wants us to respond to him. And we're going to see who he is today that can bring this all into perspective so that we make that response towards him. And then the second question is, is what's your response to him? When you really begin to understand who he is, you've got to make a decision. You've got to make a decision concerning him. And so we're going to, who is he? And what's my response to him? And so those are the two questions we're going to wrestle with as we, we go through this passage today. Because today, as we look at this passage, we're going to get a glimpse of heaven. So I want you to notice with me verse 27. Jesus is speaking here. He says, But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that... He took Peter, John, and James and went up on a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened that as they were parting from him, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. 
and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no man in those days any of the things that they had seen. Folks, we're going to take a look. We're going to see a glimpse of heaven today. And we can basically divide this passage, these verses, into two sections. We're going to look, first of all, at the promise, which we see in verse 27. And then we're going to look at the glorified Jesus and its implications for you and I today. So again, we're going to try and answer those two questions. Who is this Jesus that he demands a response from us? And then second of all, what's your response to him? So let's notice, first of all, the promise. The promise we see in verse 27, it says, But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. The first thing I want you to see about this promise is this. It is tied to his call. It's tied to his call. Now you're probably sitting here saying, well, wait a minute, what's his call? If you remember, just a few verses before that, in verse 23, he said this, If anyone desires to come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And for what, is, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whosoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory, in his, in his fathers, and of the holy angels. Verse 27 is a part of this call that he gave. So when you think about it, in verses 23 through 26, he's issuing a call to us to radically follow him. Remember, so the last time I was here, I shared with you that radical call that he gave, and most of you here said that was pretty radical what he's asking us to do. Now we get to verse 27, he's going to give a promise, and the promise is, is that he's told those disciples that some of them are going to see the kingdom of God before they die. So he's given them a promise, and he's giving them this promise because of the call that he made to them, the radical call. And what does that mean for you and I? Here's the implication. When you think about what Jesus is calling us to, Think about what he says in verse 23. Anyone wants to follow him, what does he say? Deny yourself, so that means you've got to give up what you want in life. Take up your cross, that means you need to sacrifice your desires. And what? Follow him. Follow his example. He goes on to explain that in the preceding verses after that. Verses 24 to 26. When you think about the radical call that Jesus is making, you before as you enter into that radical call, you, the, a natural tendency that would go through your mind and obviously would go through these disciples' minds is, is, why am I doing this? You're asking me to do all of this, Jesus? To give up my life? To follow you? To sacrifice my desires? Why am I doing this? Isn't that a natural, isn't that a natural feeling that's on our part? When somebody asks you to give an arm and a leg, your, your natural question that you follow up is, is, why? Why are you telling me to do this? So Jesus then follows up that call and says to him, Guys, some of you here are going to see the kingdom of God before you die. 
He's giving them an incentive. He says, look, I've just made this radical call to you. I've just called you to do something that's totally unnatural, to follow me. And here's why. Because some of you are going to see the kingdom of God, and it's going to make sense to you why I'm telling you to do this. So it's tied to his call. The second thing I want you to see there is, is that they will see the kingdom of God. They'll see the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying here. That's the promise he's given. If you follow after me, if you commit your life to me, if you sacrifice what you are wanting and follow after what I am saying, give up your life for my sake, he says, you're going to see the kingdom of God. That's the promise. You know what, folks? That promise is still true for you and I today. The reality is, is that when we talk about committing our lives to Jesus... We are committing our lives to Jesus because we want to see what? The kingdom of God. We want to see Him. And this is what He's saying here. So then, when we get to verse 28, which is our next section, we see the glorified Jesus. Luke then tells us that this is not just some empty promise. He says, eight days later, Jesus fulfills His promise. He takes three guys with Him. He doesn't take all 12. He takes three of them. He takes, what, James and John and Peter. And he goes up on a mountain. Now, the passage doesn't say which mountain. really doesn't matter which mountain. But he goes up on a mountain to pray. Now, as is typical with these guys, we'll see it later again, they're, they're pretty tired. So when they pray, how many of you are like this? When you pray, you find yourself falling asleep. Don't raise your hand. I've done that. Especially if it's been an exhausting day and you want to pray. And if I sit down and pray, that's it. I'm history. That's what's going on here with those guys. Doesn't it feel good to know that the apostles have the same problem? So here they are. They're up there and they're praying and something happens to Jesus. Something beyond this world happens to him. He changes right there in their midst. In fact, what the implication of the passage is, is that he is glorified because he's fulfilling that promise. Because he's saying to them, guys, remember what he said in verse 27? He said, some of you will see the kingdom of heaven before you'll die. Who's the kingdom of heaven? He is. You understand, heaven is Jesus. So let's notice what's going on here. Look with me, first of all, verse 28 to 29. Look at what it says. And it came to pass about eight days after these things that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face altered and his robe became white and glistening. Here's what I want you to see. first thing I want you to see is the true glory of Jesus is revealed. The true glory of Jesus is revealed. You know what, folks, here's, I'm going I'm to have you turn over to another passage, and we're going to talk about the true glory of Jesus in a moment. But I want you to think for a moment. When most of us think about Jesus, what do we think about? What picture do you have in your mind? For most of us, it's a picture of the Sunday school Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? It's the Jesus that you see in most of the Sunday school stories that you learned as a kid. Or maybe you were in your grandma's house and they had a picture of Jesus on the wall. Remember those? You know, Jesus is kind of posing there. 
or, or Jesus knocking on the door. I remember in my aunt's house, she had a picture of Jesus knocking on the door. There's no door handle on the door because it, you know, its implication was from Revelation chapter 3. He's knocking on the door and he wants me to let him in. Or another one is Jesus carrying the, the sheep. Remember Jesus carrying the sheep? And so maybe in your mind you've got a picture of Jesus as that. You, I'm, it's easy for us to have a picture of Jesus like that, isn't it? Some of you it's because you've watched a movie. And so your picture of Jesus is whoever the dude was that was in the movie. Whether it was Jesus Christ Superstar or, or whatever, the Jesus movie or the greatest story ever told. You've got a picture in your mind of Jesus based upon what you saw. Now here's what I want you to understand. I want you to chuck it out of your mind. Because that's not who he is. Because to truly understand who Jesus is in all of his glory, you just need to look at this passage. Because the glory of the true Jesus is revealed in this passage. They go up on this mountain to pray, and then all of a sudden something happens to Jesus. His face changes, his clothes change into a brilliance beyond all comprehension. We say, what did he look like? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. John later, now isn't this interesting? John is one of the ones who sees this. But later in Revelation chapter 1, John sees him again. Verse 12, chapter 1. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Notice what it says. Clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about his chest with a golden band. Notice what it says about his face. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like the flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. Notice how he responds to him. And then when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. So here's John. He's saying, Man, I saw Jesus, and he is beyond comprehension. He's spectacular. And this is what they saw on the mountain. His countenance changed. His raiment changed. And what do we see? The true glory of Jesus is revealed. So stop and think for a moment. In verses 23 through 26, he's issuing this radical call. He's saying to them, follow me. Give up what you want in this world. Follow after me and what I want. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. And he says to them, guys, some of you are not going to die before you see the kingdom of God. And guess what happens? They're with him on a mountain, and he changes. And there he is in all of his glory. All of his glory. Right there in the midst of them. Second thing I want you to see is, is that 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 isn't just enough. It isn't just enough that he changes in their midst. Look at verse 30 to 31. They get a couple of visitors. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish 
at Jerusalem. The next thing I want you to see is, is that Moses and Elijah confirmed his purpose. Moses and Elijah confirmed his purpose. Now you're sitting there saying, why Moses and Elijah? Well, remember who they are. Moses was what? The lawgiver at the beginning of the nation. Elijah was that prophetic voice, the prophets, of basically at the end of the nation. So you see the beginning and the end of the nation. And here they are in the totality of the Old Testament Scripture confirming what Jesus is about to do. Because what did they talk to him about? His decease in Jerusalem. What's that? His death. The purpose he was there. See, here's the thing. You want to know who this Jesus is that demands a response from us? He is glorified. He is beyond our comprehension. And all of Scripture points to who He is and why He's there among us. Because Moses and Elijah confirm, confirm who He is. Confirm who He is. But I want you to see something, because there are still three guys with Him who are half asleep. Who are they? Peter, James, and John. And notice how they react. Specifically, notice how Peter reacts. Okay? Notice how Peter reacts. Look with me, verse 32 to 33. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. And it happened that as they were parting from him, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Come, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Here's what's going on here. The reality of Jesus is overwhelming. The reality of Jesus is overwhelming. Here, let me help you to understand what's going on here. They're up there praying. The three guys that are with him are half asleep. While they're praying, Jesus changes. His whole countenance changes. His whole apparel changes. He's there glorified in his glorified state. While he's there glorified, Moses and Elijah come and talk with him, confirming what his purpose is. And so there's, you can almost see it, there's Peter. He's kind of coming half out of his sleep. You know what it's like in the morning when you've really been tired? and, and or It's like today, I'm going to take a power nap. You know, it's like by the time I wake up out of my power nap, my eyeballs are going to open up and I'm going to be like, oh, what day is this? You know, you know what I'm saying? How many of you know what I'm talking about? You're just like in a stupor. And then you're trying to focus on what's in the room. And if somebody else is there, that makes it even more weird, doesn't it? And so he's kind of coming out of it. And he looks, and there's Jesus, and he's changed. And not only that, there's two people, and he recognizes who they are. He recognizes that they're two great personages from the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. And so it's like overwhelming. And, and so here's what Peter does. He gets up, and he says something. He's like, uh, well, let's make a tent. Tabernacle here is actually the word is tent. Let's make three tents for you, Jesus. One for Moses, one for you, and Elijah. And and then the writer Luke says that why he's saying it because Peter didn't know what to say. He's saying something really dumb and foolish because he doesn't really know what to say. He just feels like he's got to say something. How I many you know what I'm talking about? Something happens. You don't really know what to say, but you say something that's pretty dumb. This is what's going on here. He's overwhelmed by what he's seeing. He's overwhelmed. Listen, folks, when you grasp the reality of who Jesus is, 
of what He's done for you, and you grasp the purpose of why He came, it's overwhelming. Peter was overwhelmed so much so that he just said something plain dumb. That's reality. Who is this Jesus? That he demands a response from me? He's glorified. He's got a purpose. And he's so overwhelming, it just takes it away from you. That's who he is. But there's one other thing I want you to see here, is that heaven itself confirmed who Jesus is. Because while Peter is speaking, he doesn't know what he's saying, a cloud envelops them. Look with me at verse 34 through 36. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. They kept quiet and told no one in those days any of these things that they had seen. Here's what I want you to see. Heaven itself confirms who Jesus is. It, I mean, the cloud, let me help you understand. The, old, the cloud in the Old Testament, we already know this. Remember the Exodus? They were led by a pillar of what? Cloud. In, in the Old Testament terms, it was called the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory of God. It was the Holy Spirit. So there they are. Peter, you know, he's overwhelmed by what he's seeing. There's Moses and Elijah. There's Jesus in his glorified state. He's overwhelmed. He's making this crazy statement. Let me build you three tents, Jesus. And all of a sudden, this cloud comes about him. Now you're saying they're on a mountaintop. That happens. Yeah, but when's the last time something talked to you out of the cloud? When the voice of God speaks, the Father himself speaks and says, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. Heaven itself is confirming who Jesus is. Folks, think about it. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I wrestled with this passage for two weeks, trying to figure out how do I communicate this to you. How do I help you to understand what's going on here? It wasn't until yesterday that it came together. And this is what's going on in this passage. It really is a continuation of verse 23 on. Verse 23, Jesus is uttering this wild, radical call for people to follow him, to give up what this world has to offer, to give up what they want, to make a decision and follow after him. He's offering this radical call. And the natural question that offers that enters into your mind and enters into my mind, it doesn't enter into your mind, it enters definitely enters into my mind, is why do I need to do this? Why? And the passage comes right out and says, this is why. Because this is who he is. He's God. He's glorified. He's fulfilling the scriptures and his purpose to go to the cross and die for us. And heaven itself confirms who he is. The reason why you need to answer that call is because of the one who gave it. Jesus. This is what he's saying here. How how do we wrap this up? Three things. Number one, who are you living for? Because that's really the question, isn't it? I mean, when you consider what his radical call is and what he's calling us to do, and then you consider that he's showing them 
a glimpse of heaven, a glimpse of who he is in all of his glory, you can reduce it down to one question, who are you living for? Who are you living for? Let me tell you something. When I was in China for those two weeks, I was constantly being bombarded with that question day in and day out as I interacted with Chinese believers. I met one woman who has been in prison so many times and who has had the death penalty on her head simply for receiving a case of Bibles. And I'm being bombarded with the question over and over in my mind, George, who are you living for? What is your purpose? And you know what I could say real easy, you know, oh, you know, Lord, I'm a pastor. It's for you, Jesus. And the reality is, is no, it's not. It's for me. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would all have to say we're living for ourselves, aren't we? I'll be the first one to say it. And what this passage brings out is a question. A question we've got to ask ourselves. Who are we living for, folks? Who are we living for? Is it you? God calls you to something more. calls you to something more. So then the next thing is recognize who He is. Recognize who Jesus is. Because again, you, you know, as I'm sitting here and I'm saying, you know, you don't live for yourself, live for Him. Well, the natural question is, well, who is He? I mean, you're calling me to do something pretty radical, George. Jesus, you're calling me to do something pretty radical. Who are you to ask me to do that? Isn't that the question we're trying to say? Who is he that demands a response from us? And the only way that we can answer that question about what we're living for is we've got to recognize who Jesus is. Folks, he is God. And he loved you so much, he came to die for you to give you eternal life. And He came to give you life right now, not later on. See, most of us are focused on what comes later on. It's like fire insurance. That's not what the Gospel is. The Gospel is right now, Jesus, right now for your life, right now. Recognize who He is. And then finally, embrace Him. Embrace Jesus. Follow Jesus. Follow Him. If He is who He is, then do what He's saying. But you know what? We're Americans. What do you mean by that, George? We don't trust anybody. Isn't that true? What do you mean you're going to tell me to do something? Come on now. If I do that, how do I know for sure that that's going to work out that way? Isn't that what we do? Or am I the only guy like that? Some are laughing. You know what I'm talking about. But we've got to give up ourselves and give up our 
criticalness and give up our distrust and learn to trust in somebody. And folks, let me just say this. We need to trust the one who is. That's Jesus. And we need to follow Him. You need to follow Him. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.